influence and power. Knowing that he's about to die, Moses turns to God and asks him to appoint a successor. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord God of the spirits of all mankind appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. It's a far-sighted, selfless gesture. As Rashi comments, This is to tell the praise of the righteous that when they are about to leave this world, they put aside their personal needs and become preoccupied with the needs of the community. Great leaders think about the long-term future. They're concerned with succession and continuity. So it was with Moses. God tells Moses to appoint Joshua Ishasher, Ruach Bo, a man in whom there is spirit, and he gives him precise instructions about how to arrange the succession. Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Elazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give some of your authority on him so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command they will come in. There are three actions involved here. Number one, Moses was to lay his hand on Joshua. Number two, have him stand before Elazar the priest and the entire assembly. And number three, give him some of your authority. What is the significance of this threefold process? What does it tell us about the nature of leadership in Judaism? There is a fascinating midrash about the first and third of these gestures. And lay your hand upon him. This is like kamadlik ner miner, like lighting one candle with another. Give him some of your authority. This is like emptying one vessel into another. Beneath these enigmatic words is a fundamental truth about leadership. In L'Esprit des Lois, in 1748, Montesquieu, one of the great political philosophers of the Enlightenment, set out his theory of the separation of powers into three branches, the legislature, the executive, and the judiciary. Behind it lay a concern for the future of freedom if power were concentrated in a single source. He wrote, Liberty does not flourish because men have natural rights or because they revolt if their leaders push them too far. It flourishes because power is so distributed and so organized that whoever is tempted to abuse it finds legal restraints in his way. Now, Montesquieu's source was not the Bible. But there is, in a verse in Isaiah, a strikingly similar idea. He said, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Now, that is three different roles. This tripartite division can also be found in Devarim, in the passage dealing with the various leadership roles in ancient Israel. There were the king, the priest, and the prophet. The sages later spoke about the three crowns, the crowns of Torah, priesthood, and kingship. Stuart Cohen, who has written an elegant book on the subject, 
called the Three Crowns, notes that what emerges from the biblical texts isn't democracy throughout the political system, but a distinct notion of power sharing at its higher at its highest levels. Neither scripture nor early rabbinic sources express any sympathy whatsoever for a system of government in which a single body or group possesses a monopoly of political authority. The threefold process through which Joshua was to be inducted into office had to do with these three types of leadership. Specifically, the second stage, have him stand before Elazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence, had to do with the fact that Moses wasn't a priest. So his successor had to be formally recognized by the representative of the priesthood, namely Elazar the high priest. Joshua was not going to become a priest. However, he did have two other roles. Power and influence are often thought of as being the same kind of thing. Those who have power have influence and vice versa. But in fact, though, they are quite different. If I have total power and then decide to share it with nine others, I only have a tenth of the power I had before. But if I have a certain measure of influence and then share it with nine others, I don't have less influence, I have more. Instead of one person radiating this influence, there are now ten. So power works by division and influence works by multiplication. Moses occupied two roles. He was the functional equivalent of a king. He made the key decisions relating to the people, how they should be organized, the route they were to take on their journey, when and with whom they should engage in war. But he was also the greatest of the prophets. He spoke the word of God. A king had power. He ruled. He made military, economic, and political decisions. Those who disobeyed him faced the possible penalty of death. But a prophet had no power whatsoever. He commanded no battalions. He had no way of enforcing his views. But he had massive influence. Today we barely remember the names of most of Israel's and Judah's kings. But the words of the prophets continue to inspire by the sheer force of their vision and ideals. As Kierkegaard once said, almost actually, when a king dies his power ends, when a prophet dies his influence begins. Moses was to confer both roles on Joshua as his successor. V'samachta et yadecha alav, lay your hand on him, means give him your role as prophet, the intermediary through whom God's word is conveyed to the people. To this day we use the same word, smicha, meaning the laying on of hands, to describe the process whereby a rabbi ordains his disciples. But the third act, give him Mehudacha, some of your authority, that refers to the other role. It means invest him with the power you hold as a king. So we now understand the Midrash. Influence is like lighting one candle with another. Sharing your influence with somebody else doesn't mean you have less, you have more. When we use the flame of a candle to light another candle, the first is not diminished. There is now simply more light. But transferring power is like emptying one vessel into another. The more power that you give away, the less you have. Moses' power ended with his death. His influence, though, remains to this day. Judaism has an ambivalent attitude towards power. It's necessary. Without it, in the words of Rabbi Hanina, deputy high priest, people would eat one another alive. 
But Judaism long ago recognized that, to quote Lord Acton, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Influence, the relationship of profit to people, teacher to disciple, is altogether different. It is a non-zero-sum game. Through it, both teacher and disciple grow. Both are enhanced. Moses gave Joshua his power and his influence. The first was essential to the political and military tasks ahead, but it was the second that made Joshua one of the great figures of our tradition. Influence is simply more enduring than power. Shabbat Shalom.